name is Neil Middleton and every month we create informative content for you as we talk to important, influential and inspirational people from the world of bats as well as other areas of interest. To find out more about Batability, go to batability.co.uk. Now for the interview, let's do it. Hello, hello, hello and welcome everybody. This time I am so pleased, so very pleased to have Richard Crompton with us from Ecology On Demand. How are you doing today, Richard? I know, great. Good to see you. Yeah, and thanks so much for doing this. Um, did you wake up this morning and think, wow, I'm getting to do a talking bat? Or did you wake up this morning and think, oh my goodness, why did I ever agree to do this? <laughs> a bit of both, probably. No, I thought, oh, good, it's, it's time to talk to Neil, because we haven't spoken for ages, actually, haven't we? This is long overdue, so it'd be nice to catch up. Yeah, no, no absolutely, absolutely. Well, I've been, I've been looking forward to this uh, since the time you agreed to do it. And we started doing Talking Bat, goodness, February 2020. So that's what, almost 18 months ago. Wow, and, wow, yeah. And what you need to know, Richard, right, is once we'd done a couple of them and we realised that it was going to be a thing, that it wasn't just going to be a one-off, I created a list of people that I really, really wanted to do this with. And you were very high on that list. Okay, so I... Flattery will get you everywhere, Neil. Flattery will get you everywhere. (laughs) Yeah, you're very high on that list. I'm only sorry it's taken so long for me to... uh, We we, kind of work through the list and we try and mix things about a bit. And sometimes we do interviews with people that aren't bad people. We kind of sort of do other things as well. Anyway... Let's talk about you. So you're ecological projects advisor and trainer for your business ecology on demand. Uh, I would say, and I don't think anybody would disagree with me, that you're one of the most respected specialist back consultants in the UK. You were formerly the founder and director of Wildwood Ecology Limited. Now, you sold Wildwood 2016, is that right? right? That's right, just before my daughter was born, yeah. Just before your daughter was born. And at that point, that's when you started Ecology on Demand. Yeah. Uh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. That was the that was the transition. Yeah. Richard Crompton Limited was, I, I think, incorporated um just a month or two before before I left Wildwood. Um yeah. and then um uh, basically uh, Richard Crompton Limited is just the umbrella that holds ecology on demand and the bat training. Work. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you're also a former trustee and director of the Back Conservation Trust. Um, tell us a little bit about your experiences there, because uh, m- many people have been trustees, but not that many have director <laughs> in their title. Sure. What's that uh, about? Yeah, well, nine years I did on the board. So there's not there's a that's, a that's a very small group of people that have ever managed nine years on the board, partly because we changed the memorandum and articles when I was there to enable you to do more than six years. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but basically anybody that becomes chair, vice chair, um, secretary or treasurer becomes automatically becomes a director of the company as well. So for think about three and a half years I was one of the directors and I was actually a company secretary at the time when BCT grew massively I think they went from the top of my head they went from about 10 or 12 staff up to about 28 staff and they grew their 
turnover from about a third of a million up to nearly a million pounds. So in those sort of three or four years, it was a period of massive growth. Um, so for me, completely transformative. You know, I felt mostly out of my depth, um, uh, I have to say. But there were amazing people like the, the treasurer at the time um, was a practicing barrister. And he and I worked on BCT's responses to the, uh, the changes in the habitats regulations. So literally, I was on an almost weekly basis having hour-long phone calls with this total expert in his field about the intricacies of the Habs regs and stuff. And it's just <laughs> blows your mind sort of stuff. The way those guys work, the intellect of those barristers is phenomenal. And uh, my goodness, did I learn some things from Michael. Michael Ford, what a remarkable man. He got into bats so much. And um, Gareth Jones at Bristol was on the board at the time. Yeah. That Michael signed up for a zoology degree. Seriously. Wow. Yeah, that's how much he got into it. Yeah. Uh, and the chair, Ian Dunbar, made very tiny ripples. Yes. I, I, I don't think um, a lot of the membership of BCT at the time would have had any cause to really know him. But yeah. he was absolutely the epitome of what a chair should be. He, I, I learned such a lot. And, and because of being secretary and because, in all honesty, I was probably quite green. You know, I was fairly young. I think I must have started uh, when, uh, you know, I was sort of um, so only late 20s when I started my journey with, with the BCT board. Um, and he was a seasoned businessman, you know. So so he spent a lot of time with me very graciously, you know, with some of the things I was. But he was in a meeting. He was the last person to vote, as it should be. Yeah. He was the proper chair. You know, he, would, he wouldn't make his views. No, you couldn't tell which way, you know, if there was a tricky issue where, where, where there may have been some indecision amongst the members of the trustees. He would, he, he, you would never have known which way he was going to, 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 to guide the vote if there needed to be his casting vote. So very, very good, very gentleman. And he took us through that, that very difficult time with the rabies research. Yes, which is yes. an extremely hard time for BCT and all of us. You know, I think I mean I, I lost about ten or twelve thousand pounds worth of work that year because the amount of time we were all putting into supporting the, the BCT team. Um, I was having to subcontract work all over the place. I was doing day two days a week for them, you know, for for months, um, just trying to to avoid a complete catastrophe. Really threatened BCT that. So very very, you know, you really learn from these things. You know, at the time you think, oh my god, this is hell. But um, um, yeah, you really learn from these things. There's no, there's no doubt about it. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. And you must be one of the youngest people then at that time to have held the position. Maybe, uh, maybe, yeah, uh, I, I don't yeah. know. What's interesting is uh, I didn't know at the time, but there's a company called the Who's Who Directory. Okay. Um, and they do a Who's Who Directory. It's a published book. Um, okay. I don't think it's, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> you can buy it. I think the business is based around them selling the book to people okay. who are in it. But um, uh, does they do a, a who's who of young business leaders. And because okay. of the growth of BCT at that time, not Wildwood, but the growth of BCT, I appeared for three years in the who's who of young business leaders well, as, wow. a, as a director of BCT. So, Excellent. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's quite funny. <laughs> oh, I love that. Absolutely yeah. love that. <laughs> now, you were also... Uh, Talking about BCT, that, that leads us nicely on to talking about the survey guidelines, because sure. I know you've yeah. been involved in yeah. oh, all editions of the... Hmm? Survey guidelines, nervous twitch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I see you, you were involved in all three editions, and I think I've been all to the fourth edition. Yeah, that's maybe involved coming in out the current next version year. as well. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. we're we're stuck into it at the moment. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I mean that must be. I mean, I know you don't write. You don't write the whole thing. You're part of a, a review panel or a, a north yes, panel. Yes, the, yeah, the roles yeah. changed because uh, in the first edition, we all wrote a chapter or two. So typically, most of us, I think, wrote one of the chapters and usually co-authored another or contributed to another. Um, so in the first edition, I actually wrote the chapter on bats and or surveying trees. Um, and um, um, the role slightly evolved over time, partly because of politics. The panel got bigger. The review panel got bigger. So Saim got involved, I, I think appropriately so. Uh, and they wanted to nominate a number of people. And suddenly there were another four or five people involved in the panel. And so it, it became much more of a, uh, I think they referred to us as an editorial panel the second okay. time. And yeah. then by the third edition, I think we'd become a review board. And some of those people were still some, you know, um, uh, um, chapter authors. But um, I think uh, there were far fewer people that were really just there for their for their views and, and, and representation. Yeah, yeah. So fourth edition, 2022, is that the plan? Or? Yeah, I think they're looking at um, uh, a draft out sometime this winter. Yeah, yeah. It's been delayed partly because BCT are working very heavily on the Natural England Earned Recognition Scheme for Mitigation Licensing. Um, I, I've, I've been lucky enough to be um, accepted onto that as an assessor for the pilot. So I'm actually just doing the training for that at the moment, of which there's a lot, um, nearly all week, week before last, um, four days, so four or five hours a day of it, um, uh, and still a lot to do. And I've now got to get myself approved. I've got to do the portfolio and to do the CPD record and all that sort of stuff. So that's quite that's quite a big thing. I think it could work. I think it could really it could really help, um, but as with all these things, I'm always nervous about the the glass ceilings they impose on the way up. Great yeah. if you're in my position and you're going to qualify reasonably high up the scale in terms of what what you'll be able to do with it. But uh, I always worry about you know how how easy it is for people to transition from being a relative new entrant into the into the industry and to yeah. progress through to a higher level of competence. You know, I think yeah. that is something that that um, uh, is high on my list of concerns really. If you're enjoying listening to our podcasts, perhaps you would also be interested in joining Batability Club. To find out more about Club, which includes hundreds of hours of accessible training resources available to you in your own time and at your pace, go to batability.co.uk. Thank you. Something else I want to very kind of quickly touch upon is the amount of time and effort and commitment you must put into uh, trying to assist people on social media sites, <laughs> uh, such as the UK Bat Workers site, and you're also the administrator or one of the administrators uh, of the British Ecologists Facebook page. Yeah. Uh, let's let's talk about these for a minute, or because look, I fo- I follow all of these sites, okay, and mm-hmm. I don't have time to comment on stuff, and I'm always someone that unless I really have to put a lot of thought into the specific words that I'm going to use, so that I'm not misinterpreted or whatever. 
I, I just don't go there. You know? uh, but when I see you post stuff, um, I, I am totally impressed, first of all, with the amount of thought that's gone in and consideration that's gone into what you've put up there. And, and they're doing all of this, of course, you know, against the conflict of a working life, because you don't get paid for posting things on Facebook. You know, that's just uh, something you do. It's just something we all do for yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. forever. So, so on behalf of everybody that follows these sites um, and for all the time and commitment that you've put in, I'm just going to say thank you, because when you comment, it's usually... 99.5% of the time, it's hope worth so. reading. Hope yeah. so, yeah. yeah. I, I, I need to apologise because I know I annoy people as well. There's, there's definitely a handful of people that have made their thoughts very clear. But uh, I think uh, by and large, but I think you've you, you got to remember that there's nothing for free in this world. You know, I, I'm promoting oh, yeah. while I'm there. You know, there's, there's absolutely no doubt in that, you know, and I would say maybe possibly as much as 50% of my work now is coming from referrals via social media. Yeah. Yeah. I think because also I want to be, I want people to see, oh, well, what a sensible point of view, you know, maybe that's somebody I'd like to work with through Ecology on Demand, you know, so, uh, you know, I'm not going to pretend it's all, yeah. it's all totally philanthropic, you know. How did you first get into international history? I mean, I'm, I'm assuming in the very beginning of your uh, academic uh, world of when you were still at school, I'm maybe wrongly assuming were you into bats back then, or were you just into natural history from in a wider context? I mean, how did it how did it all start off for you? Um, so I, I suppose it, it comes back down to the influence of my mum. She was uh, in her younger days had been quite a keen bird watcher, and whilst we never particularly, um, I, I I don't particularly have memories of of being sort of taught or shown a lot I think it was always there and I think because she'd got a really good awareness of garden birds and stuff like that I think at quite an early age I was able to identify the, the kind of common common birds and things and I was one of those kids that was always groveling around in the bottom of a hedge so me and my mates were great den builders and we were into everything we were up into the woods getting told off by the gamekeepers and stuff like that I, I remember that yeah um, and loads of tree climbing and stuff um, and uh, I think I was always just fascinated by things. I think some of me, part of me just never quite grew up. Um, I remember when, uh, not long after I'd moved in with my now wife, um, she found me one day groveling around on the floor and um, she, she thought I was ill or something. And apparently I was watching, I'd forgotten this, but apparently I was watching some ants drag away a dead wasp. And this was as a grown adult. So this was in my sort of mid thirties or something, you know, and, right, that, and okay. there was me, you know, and she'd wondered where I was for the last 40 minutes. And I'd been literally just watching some ants having a tug of war with a dead wasp, you know? <laughs> okay. So I, I think part of me just never grew up. <laughs> yeah. So, but back to your mom, the bird watching, yeah. you went, you went through school. You obviously got qualifications, which meant... Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that yeah, made the yeah. biggest difference for me was Duke of Edinburgh's award. So okay. I um, I went to a school that um, that encouraged it. There was a brilliant teacher there called Mr Bradley um, who ran the D of E scheme. Um, uh, and I was, at that point, sort of 14, 15 years of age, I was going to go and be a professional musician. I was going to be a French horn player in an orchestra. 
no okay. doubt, no question at all. If if you'd asked me then what I was thought I was going to do for a career, that's what I was going to go and do. You can okay. see the the French horn as yeah. an old vin vintage one up here. It's an yeah. 18th century um, post horn, um, yeah. and that's what I was going to do. I was having lessons with the second horn of the BBC Philharmonic in Manchester. And that's where I saw life going. But I'd always had this hankering since a child, really, that was sort of offset against that to be a, a, a countryside ranger, a warden or a ranger. Yeah. And when Duke of Edinburgh came along at age 14, I think um, we had to do a community service. And me and a mate, Rob, we went to the local National Trust property, which was about a mile from where I lived. I could cycle in through the back gate. Um, and we were weekend wardens. And we basically okay. used picking and tell people to put their dogs on leads and don't picnic here because the deer will come over and steal your food and um, skewer you with their antlers you know this and that's just done, uh, a, yeah. done a done a massy park um south manchester at the manchester cheshire border okay um and it was brilliant and we were only supposed to do two hours a week and uh we did it for i, I think we did it for silver and then we also did it for gold award and we just used to do whole days all the time. And Rob dropped out once he'd finished his Duke of Edinburgh's award, but I carried on um, and I got given full warden status aged 16 or 17 or something. So I was allowed to be the member of the duty member of staff in the park on my own. Um, I was given the key to the gun cabinet in case we had to dispatch an injured deer, um, all sorts of things, you know, so some quite some remarkable stuff. Um, and I loved it. And I used to spend whole days there. I volunteered several years running to do the Christmas Day deer feed um, and take the tractor out, yeah. you know, with the bales of hay and the carrots and do the feed in the frost because they had a large, large <laughs> herd of fallow deer. And so I just loved it. I just absolutely loved it. That was that was me and my element. Uh, but there, there was this terrible curveball of French horn playing that came on. And I'd been told that you could do this. You could go to music college and do this. So yeah, it, it yeah. was it was hard because sort of my childhood wish had always been to be this countryside ranger. Yeah. Um, but fortunately for me, my best mate, Adrian, um, went to the Royal Academy of Music as a horn player. Okay. And he's two or three years older than me. Um, and I instantly, instantly saw, and he was a better player than me at that age as well, um, instantly saw how difficult it was and how competitive it was. And I realised, um, I, I spent a week, I uh, did work experience week with the BBC Philharmonic in Manchester in a studio, whole week in a studio with no windows in the center of Manchester, as okay. watching the orchestra being shouted at by a crotchety French conductor. Okay. And I think I was probably 17. Um, and that, and, and sat there behind my teacher who I adored, you know, a hugely important person in my life. And I was just sat behind watching all this happen and watching the banter amongst the players, you know, there's clearly a great amount of enjoyment, but that was mm -hmm. enough to make me realize that music, I could have really special experiences doing music as an amateur. I didn't need to do it professionally with all the pressure. Yeah. And that was yeah. such a good decision. But I think that experience and my mate Adrian, you know, struggling with the professional music life in London, how competitive, how much backstabbing there was, was a really good sort of for me. So that just sort of reinforced me back to my core principles. And I went off to Aberystwyth University and studied countryside management. OK, yeah, still not specifically interested in in bats at that point, correct? In fact, yes, because um, okay. there was an incident, and I, I refer to it as an incident. You can an decide incident. yourself okay. whether it was a good one or a bad one. So when I was 16 at Dunham Park, I was I used to do evening events. Occasionally, they'd pay me 
um, as well, uh, just a bit, um, to do things like if there was a concert on or an event and we'd do the car parking attendant stuff, you know. Um, and I did quite a few of those and there was one and there was a bat walk and they asked me if I'd be, you know, be, be up for going along to the, to the bat walk to collect the money, carry the first aid kit, you know, the kind of thing, um, which I did. And I was, it was obviously quite a formative experience really because um, it, it um, uh, blew my mind a little bit. And I was interested in bats and I already was aware that I'd got very high hearing. So I could hear a lot of bats already. Okay. I can okay. still at uh, 45 still hear noctules now. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. So I usually hear them just before the bat detectors get them, which is brilliant on a bat yeah. walk or a training course because you can yeah. say, "Oh, there's a noctule on the way." Everybody tunes yeah. down, and then it appears. It's so weird because uh, for whatever reason, your ears just get it first. I saw on Facebook yeah, the other day somebody yeah. said their dog um, always looks up when a noctule comes by just before the detector. I think I'm just like that dog. <laughs> oh, I tell you, that's, I don't know if you've ever met Andy Froud. Okay, one oh, yeah. of the co-authors yeah, yeah. of the social course book. Yeah. But, Andy has got, he, he's got hearing just like you. Yeah. Mm. He's a human bat detector. And uh, and to be honest, he's a pain in the arse to go out with on a bat walk because you think you think he's winding you up because yeah. it's on others and the just put social crawling over oh, there yeah, yeah. and yeah. you've got a thousand quid bat detector in your hand and it's not yeah. picking it up. And yeah. then you take, I don't know, 10 metres further forward and you just go. Ah. There it is. How? Yeah. Uh, you know, so you, yeah. You need to get together with them, you two. It could be some sort of yeah. Yeah. Well, we were. You, you, you passed me a job actually. Do you remember the um, they were doing their tree strategy at That's the Royal right. Park? Yeah. So, That's so he right. and I worked on the tree strategy for Royal I've Park. All about that. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for yeah. that. That was a good job. Oh, that's all. That's all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. So, yeah, so we did right, this bat walk yeah. and it was great. It was great. Um, and, uh, but it, it was quite, I, 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 won't, I won't be rude about it, but there were certainly things that I wanted, I would have done differently. So even at 16, I think that I thought there were ways. Um, Dunham Park's cosmopolitan, it's right on the edge of the wealthy edge of, of Manchester with, you know, in Cheshire. Um, so I think people would have an expectation of, of how information would be delivered. I'd obviously communicated some of this to the park manager without really meaning to um, be, because he called my bluff and he said these guys come along that that area as it happened didn't have a back group it, 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 there wasn't a sort of south manchester back group at that point um, and he said um actually next year i think you should run the back walk richard you've got 12 months yeah okay no, I don't really know why. I mean, I was quite a nerdy kid. I was quite into electronics a bit as well. And so I got on those kit magenta bat detectors yeah. And, yeah. I, and I built myself one of those and I started learning and started going on workshops. And in those days, they did those wonderful, I don't know if, if you encountered them, uh, I, I suspect Scotland did them and did them better as well, I should think. But we used to do these workshops where they were free or next to nothing, like 20 quid or something. Everybody go and sleep on the church hall floor for the weekend. Yeah. Yeah. And you just run around somewhere wild looking for yeah. bats and bat yeah, we've, we've done we've done stuff like that. Oh, yeah, they yeah. were they yeah. were brilliant. Yeah. We've so got to bring that sort of thing back again. Yeah. And I, I remember the first one I went on, uh, and it was I was at university by this point, I think. But um, I uh, so probably my first year at university, I didn't I didn't have a car. 
and I looked down the, the list of people that was going, there was another guy in the same county called Tom McCowart. And I was aware wow, of Tom. Okay. <laughs> because because Tom, of course, had illustrated the Batworkers Manual and yeah. most of John Altrincham's books and that sort of stuff. And I knew of him as as the the trainer for that that county, for 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 Dovid County, the old yeah. county boundary. Never met him. And I just thought, well, he must be driving from nearby. I wonder if he'd give me a lift. So I rang him up out the blue and just said, hi, I live in Aberystwyth. I'm going on this, this detector workshop. Please, could I have a lift? And he said, I'll be delighted. I'm coming that way, um, uh, which was really kind. Uh, and so we shared a six-hour journey or something up to Grisdale in the Lake District. And then you get there. And of course, at the, uh, at the time, you don't really know, but there was people. Tony Hudson was there. Um, um, uh, the, the guys from BCT National Bat Monitoring Program there, Phil Richardson was there, yeah. you know, um, all, all, all these sorts of, you know, really remarkable people and some Dutch guys. And I don't know their names even. I could probably guess who they are now, but I don't actually remember. But they taught us backtracking. Okay, yes. Yeah. Which wasn't yeah. really a technique that was being used in the UK prior to that. Yeah. And okay. I ended up on the top of a fell. Uh, with Tom McCower through sort of chest high bracken chasing bats dusk and dawn and we got lost and we had to climb over fences we ended up in someone's garden at one point without realizing it at two o'clock in the morning bonkers absolutely bonkers stuff but we learned how to backtrack from these guys because it's not difficult you just you you know once you've tried it a few times it's it's sort of obvious and I used bats for my dissertation my undergraduate dissertation now I did a countryside management degree so we were given quite a very it's very broad subject but we could choose uh, and so I, I, I opted to do uh, one on bats and I was looking at the weather and using the two national, two closest national trust properties because they, they were accessible to me because of my contacts. Um, and by accident, whilst doing that, I found about 43, 44 tree roosts that summer. Wow. This wow. was 1996. Okay, yeah. Yeah. The Natural England database only had 52 tree roosts on it for the whole uh, country. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. that kind of people said, oh, hold on. There's this like 20 year old student who can hear bats and he's just found 40 tree roosts in one summer. So yeah. I think that that did me some did me some good, you know. Um, Jeff Billington was there because I actually went up and did a job on holiday with my parents. Okay. Uh, at the Rusland beaches in in Westmoreland, okay, uh, yeah. some tree to some beech trees that were going to get cut down, and he'd sort of seen me in action and heard, you know, I'd heard bats calling from a roost that I could hear, and I said, "There's a roost up there," and so I went back to this row of trees that were going to be felled by the national park, and I did a little report because seemed like a kind thing to do. I'd enjoyed the workshop they'd done for us, and it took me a yeah. day. And I found like 20 or something roosts in these trees. Just went on a warm day, listening for the, you know, noctules and pips, mostly um, just making roost noises. Yeah. Uh, and they were very, very batty trees. And I gave them this report and I, I didn't really know any more about it. They said, thank you very much. And, and, and that's very useful. And they had had the trees climbed and they were able to confirm a lot of these roosts. But it, they, what I didn't know was that the whole thing went to public inquiry and they submitted my report to the public inquiry. I didn't know this. Um, and <laughs> as, as I understand it, the outcome, and if you go there today, because I just, I, I'd also learned to do visual tree assessment on dangerous trees with the trust. Okay. So yeah. I just gave my fairly inexperienced opinion on that basis. 
And it turned out that my report was put up against Derek Patch, who was kind of the leading guy from the Forestry Commission on tree safety, okay. but, but had a very black and white view on, on hazardous trees. And basically, if it wasn't in excellent condition, he just said, you should clear it out and make space for a new one. Yeah, yeah. But with very little regard from, for, for biodiversity. Yeah, uh, and yeah. so effectively, it turns out what the, what the public inquiry decided to do was pretty much follow my recommendations from my report saving some of the trees pollarding some reducing some some had to be felled they were, that was clear but uh, and and it was because of the impact on bats so just these things start to slot into place you know and yeah and you yeah. realize that uh, people noticed you you know yeah. and i applied for a job with bct as i finished yeah. my degree um a conservation officer job and that the university actually had to write a second paper for one of my exams so I could go to the interview. Okay. Yeah. Um, and they offered me the job and I turned it down. Yeah, because that wasn't your first, uh, you ended up working uh, in an estate, is that uh, right? The Forestry Commission, yeah, yeah well, yeah. so. Um, so you turned down the BCT job. Yeah, well, yeah. the thing is, is I put a few things together. The sal the salary was as poor as you might imagine of a very, yeah. I mean, BCT was Tony Hudson and one other person, I think, at that time. I think it was tiny. Yeah. So they weren't offering a big salary. It was based in London, which I had major reservations about. I'm not a city yeah. boy. I'm not a city boy at all. And also a very expensive place to stay as well, Exactly that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And in mulling it over, my dad actually said to me, if you think this will help your career, do it. And I'll prop you up if you need it. You know, white middle-class privilege and all that. Yeah. Uh, and I thought, hold on a minute. I've not just gone through school and university for my dad to have to sub me in my first job. That's not right. Yeah. That doesn't sit well yeah. with me at all. And also I was concerned about the fact it wasn't, it wasn't essential that you had a car. Right. Because okay. I thought if this was a job where I'd be out and about loads, visiting back groups all over the country, yeah, that'd, be, that'd be great. Yeah. That would be great. Yeah. But it clearly wasn't that. It was going to be sat in London, in Battersea, in the offices above, um, I think, People's Trust of Endangered Species, I think it was then. Yeah. It might have even been before that. Um, working on policy uh, and that sort of stuff. And I thought, nah, nah I'm, not, I'm not ready for an indoor job just yet. Yeah. So... Um, I, do, I mean, I just spent the summer doing a tree planting contract for a mate, you know, and planted 30,000 yeah. trees on his farm, you know. So, yeah. um, no, that wasn't for me. But stupidly, I thought the next job would be just as easy to get an interview for, at least. Yeah. And then I discovered that I was just a countryside management graduate, same as all the other several hundred in the country. Yeah. And Lots sent of competition. Off yeah. Dozens and dozens and dozens of applications to hear yeah. nothing. I remember yeah. a, a key factor, never, never forget, was the... Lake District National Park area warden job. One of the area warden jobs came up that summer, the summer I graduated in 97. Okay. And they had 30,000 applicants for the job, for a job paying about 12 and a half thousand pounds. Yeah. 30,000 applicants. And suddenly there was this penny drop moment and it was, what have I yeah. done? What have I done? I've just turned down probably the dream job. And I went to, um, a Welsh back conference and there was a wonderful man called David Woolley who at the time was treasurer at BCT and he was he Tom okay. McCowan's partner yeah. in crime they're great, great. buddies been, been together he must be a very old man I, I hope he's still with us but uh, I've not seen him for many years now okay um but he was he looked like he looked like Captain Birdseye 
you know, and he was merchant. He was ex-merchant navy, I think. So he was a very imposing character. Um, and I went into it was one of the Welsh field study centres, uh, maybe Orielton, I'm not sure. And I had to go and we had to go and check in with him and get our room key sort of thing. And he was sat behind his desk in his big leather chair. I remember it almost looking like a Bond villain. It was hilarious, actually. <laughs> and I sort of walked into this old library, you know, the ceiling books. And this this sort of guy with a white beard sort of there, not giving away anything, not a clue on his face. Yeah. Um, and he stood up and he shook me by the hand and he said, oh, you're the man who's just turned us down, are you? Oh. And, I thought, <laughs> uh, and then, this, then, he, then he, this little smile broke and he said, I don't think you're going to regret that decision. Yeah, interesting. Uh, yeah. And uh, I got to know him over the years because he 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 was he became one of one of the near competitors. But over in West Wales, we were all friends and we used to pass work back and forth and help each other out with bigger jobs. Um, and I got to know David quite well, and he did explain really, and and he said, I uh, from what I knew of you, and I think he'd even been part of the SIFT and seen my CV. He said yeah. I knew that that being in London was not going to suit you, okay. sort of thing, you know. Um, and so I started doing freelance bat surveys, and uh, that summer, uh, one a guy off the year above me, same course at uni, had become the warden of a place called Havod, H-A-F-O-D, um, the, the Welsh pronunciation of F's is a V. So Havod, or Havod Ichtrid, uh, to give it its full name. Um, and it's a, a Georgian landscape, designed landscape, that the Forestry Commission had not been the best custodians of in okay. the 1950s, like they blew up the mansion um, and planted conifers all over the formal gardens and planting, you know, and, and landscape and stuff. Okay. Uh, and um, a, a group of private trustees had basically got together and started a project to try and restore it. And they persuaded the Forestry Commission to uh, appoint a warden to start taking some general care of it, recognizing it that it wasn't just a normal bit of the, the Welsh forest landscape. Um, and they'd also applied for some lottery money to actually try and do a landscape restoration project. So anyway, as part of the bid for this, um, my mate Jonathan, um, who I knew through uni, sort of said, oh, you're into bats, aren't you? He said, we, we, we think we need to do a series of biodiversity surveys across the site to support our lottery bid. Would you come and do a sort of status assessment, nothing too heavy, of the estate for bats? Which I, which I did. I think it took about six or seven weeks. All done in those days because you're in, certainly then we would have said lesser horseshoe territory, just, just, only just. No greaters recorded at that time, um, uh, but it was like two, if not three, clipboard uh, uh, bat detectors on different frequencies on your clipboard. Yeah, so three heterodyne bats. Exactly, yeah. And I did most of it on my own, a little bit with a couple of the guys from the North Keridigion group uh, would have helped me. as a chap called Marku, Marku Farrell used to, used to help me out quite a lot in those days. Um, and... Um, so yeah, we did, and did a report, put a map together, found a number of roosts. You know, most of the buildings had roosts, as you might expect, and and really thought nothing nothing more of it. Um, and um, I sort of knew the forest district manager through. Now this is it all comes down to connections, doesn't it? The conductor of the orchestra <laughs> used to drink with the forest district manager. Okay, yeah, and of course I knew the conductor quite well because I'd been. I was still playing in the the orchestra through um, 
uh, even after I'd finished university and I'd had a music yeah. bursary and they only had four music bursaries a year. So obviously we were, you know, one, one of the ones they'd perhaps know better. Anyway, so I knew the forest district manager and I was, I was in the pub with him one night and with the conductor, David, uh, and Alec, the, the, the FDM said, um, Oh, I saw your, your bat report for Havod. He said, I thought it was really good. I really enjoyed that really fascinating read. He said, um, John's left. We've got a, a gap. We need a short-term warden at the site. Would, okay. would you be Would you be interested? Just a few days a week, probably just for a few months, because we've got this lottery bid coming online, which will have new posts attached. Um, and I'd, I'd done two winters at this point. Um, so I'd been trying to scratch a living doing wildlife stuff in the summer. And then I was doing forestry work in the winter. So I was doing felling and planting and, and respacing and, and, and beating up stuff like that in, in, in the winter. And I used to go across to an estate in, in Newbridge-on-Wye and live in a caravan Monday to Friday with no running water um, and no source of heat and things like that in the woods. Yeah. Um, and I'd done that for two winters. Wow. Um, wow. Uh, character building on your own. Yeah. Yeah. Character building. Um, that would be, yeah, to see the yeah, list. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the, low, the low point was having to reverse my van up to the propane cylinder to use the exhaust of the van to thaw the cylinder so I could actually make a cup of tea to warm up in the morning. That was wow. the low, that was a low point. Oh, pushing my own van. That's right. I had an old Bedford Astra van and you could, yeah, put, it in, you yeah. could put it in first gear and get out and it, would, it wouldn't stall. It would still try and pull. So I got my yeah. van stuck in a, in a field and I actually put it in gear and was pushing my own van out while it was in gear in first gear. You know, wow. so some of those, some of those, <laughs> got it out as well. Um, some of those tricks, but I just thought I can't do another winter. I can't do another winter in that, in that, in that, um, in that caravan. And the summers were great because I was getting I was getting bat survey work mostly. I did the odd badger survey, the odd the odd, the odd um, herp survey and stuff, yeah. but mostly it was bats. And um, I, I was just about making a living off it. It was sort of okay, but in the winters it was really hard, yeah. really hard. And um, I thought, yeah. So I said I'd love to, I'd love to. So I, I started in December '98. Okay. Um, um, at Havod as the warden. And yeah. by the March, they'd made me full time. Okay. And by the May, I'd got the estate manager job was part of the new lottery project. So I got promoted two wow. grades. So I got the job that went with the, the lottery project. So then I ran that for four years. Okay. Um, so that was a landscape restoration project, actually. But I'd got a countryside management degree. I did an archaeology module. I did a geology module, you know um so i did a, a module in agriculture so um so biodiversity was a relatively small part of it but it was a it the whole thing was happening on 180 acre triple si you know i'd got three of the last seven remaining red kites uh nesting on my patch wow some okay. of that so there was some pretty yeah. cool stuff there and we were yeah. developing an old stable block on the estate into the new estate office to run the project from and of course it had a brown long eared roost because i did the okay. bat survey so you know yeah. um so everything sort of fell quite nicely into place and it was it was a weird project because that the Havard project really was a pr exercise for the forestry commission forestry commission wales um, uh, and it was extremely contentious, extremely contentious, because there were all these, there was like a friends group who were, the, 
less like friends they could not have tried to be they were evil truly evil <laughs> uh, and uh, i i had i had an unlimited budget with the pr agent with the forestry okay. commission's pr agent and i had literally him on speed dial Okay. And my aim was to to keep good, positive press in the papers all the time, you know, this sort of stuff. I used to report direct to the district manager, even though I was several grades down. I used to have okay. monthly meetings with the director for Wales if I wanted them and stuff okay. like that to because they just wanted the bad press off their desk. So it was a yeah. huge communications role, really. But um, fascinating, and I and I loved it dearly. I had some brilliant colleagues. I, my Welsh got quite good because most of my colleagues were first language Welsh as well. So that was pretty important. Being an English boy in darkest, deep, deepest, darkest Wales, you know. Yeah, you've got to try, don't you? You yeah. have. You've really, got try, <laughs> you've really got to try. Yeah, yeah. Some very influential Welsh-speaking people around that part. So, um, yeah, really good. But it was a day job, and of course, with day jobs. There's room for nighttime jobs as well, isn't there? Yeah. So, got, so, got, so, yeah. so, yeah. So I, I just carried on um, doing the bat surveys through the night and I got more and more. So I, I, I never really stopped. But uh, yeah, so I was mostly just doing endless, endless barn conversions throughout West so, Wales. Yeah. So what happens then between um, doing the estate manager's job and you then deciding to set up Wildwood Ecology? Because that's because because getting to becoming a director of your own business, but mm. staff, premises, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, that's a pretty big decision for somebody to make. Yeah, um, I mean, yes. I, I, the, the the I mean, the project at Havard ran to about a million pounds in the end, so it's quite big spend, and quite often, like it would not be unusual to have twenty guys in the woods on any one day working under my direction. I had. Mm -hmm. I think by the time I left, I had three or four direct reporting staff and was work. It was the direct forestry commission liaison with a board, with a, a, a trust, an independent charitable trust who also had two members of staff. So effectively, I was also, I wouldn't say managing them, but certainly liaising closely with them. Um, but it was all down to funding. Uh, and the Havard project, I was, I, I received a letter from um, HR, Forestry Commission HR, saying that your contract's going to be renewed for 12 months. Ah, okay. But this is the last time it can be renewed because you're on a fixed term contract. Okay. Weird, I thought. But I just thought, well, you know, I've enjoyed this, but it's time to move on. The bat survey stuff is just getting more and more and more. Um, when did I leave? 2006, I think. Um, so this would have been about 2004. And in fact, the year came to an end uh, and um, I made it known to my, my, my manager that I was going to, I was going to go. I'd had this letter, for, you know, and, and at the end of the year, I'd move on. Um, and I got called in to see Director Wales. Uh, to go to the national office and see the big boss, uh, and 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 he said, "Oh, I understand that you're you're thinking of leaving us." And I said, "Oh, well, yeah, actually, I've, I've, I, how many people get twelve months warning? They're about to, you know, lose their yeah. job, and yeah. I've I've got another career that's already happening, which you're well aware of, because they give me permission to do it." Um, doing yeah. this doing these wildlife surveys, um, and I said, "So I've actually built managed to build up my older book already." Um, with with some of this stuff because of course the seasonal nature of it is that some surveys you can't complete that that year yeah, yeah. so um and he said oh well that's rather a shame and, and i said I, I i 
the letter I'd had, I didn't think you could keep me on. He said, there's always ways and means, Richard, and we don't want to lose you. Sort of thing. I thought, well, you could have told me that. I did pretty well tell me that Six months ago. ago. <laughs> yeah, totally. And that, that may have changed my decision. But I knew that staying in the commission, the next grade up, I would have gone from what they called an operational pay band, where you have a little green van. You're expected to do things like fire duties and uh, and a degree of on call, which I loved. I mean, that's that to me is what it was all about. Um, to non-operational, right. uh, where you lose your little green van, and by inference, you're spending less time in the field. Yeah. And I just thought, I'm not I'm not ready for the desk jobs. That that there'll be a time for that, perhaps, but that, I don't I don't think that's really where I'm going. So actually, I agreed to do a five day fortnight for another year or 14 months or something. Okay. So I did a slow exit yeah. um, because the project was winding down. So we were kind of reporting back to HLF and the other funders and stuff like that and rounding off you know, jobs and that sort of stuff. And, and they'd always taken the view um, that if I got my got my work done, they weren't on my back. You know, most of my colleagues used to start at eight in the morning. If it was a forestry commission thing, they always started at eight. I was never there before nine, quite often nine thirty. And and because right. they knew I was doing nighttime work, you see. And yeah. I was quite I used to teach music for the county council. I used to play in three different music groups. Um, I used to conduct the Abris with Silver Band one night a week. And used to do three nights a week, two, two, three, or sometimes four nights a week of bat surveys on and top the, of a, a full-time job. On top of a full-time job. Yeah. yeah. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I mean, never happier, never happier. Do you know what? I, I absolutely loved it. And it was fine until I got a bug. I got a nasty virus at some point, a bit of a sort of fluey sort of thing. Um, and it wiped me out and I couldn't quite get over it. And I realized at that point I was doing too much. Um, and I'm, how old was I by this point? You know, sort of getting into my late twenties, I suppose. And um, you don't bounce back quite so well. You know, you start to feel the hangovers then, don't you, as well? Yes. So, yeah. um, uh, so I realised that that something had to go. So I did this slow exit from the Forestry Commission, which was really, really great. I mean, they were super to work for. I, I really enjoyed my time with them. Um, and so, so I, I, I was originally just a sole trader. It's just me, Richard Crompton. I sort of loosely tag, taglined it um, um, Woodlands and Wildlife Contract Consultancy because I was still doing some forestry work, uh, particularly in the winters then. I was doing tree planting contracts and I was trying to keep away from the chainsaw stuff a little bit. But um, you, can make, you can make some money doing that if you know what you're doing. I used to do the bigger trees, the, 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 the larger stuff, which require a bit more skill. Volume felling was, um, I'm the wrong shape for that. Um, you've got to get through a lot of trees in a day. I mean, it's not physically the right build for that sort of stuff. But I could do four or five valuable trees in a day. You know, that, that, was, yeah. that was different. But I wanted to get away from all of that, really. Um, and so, effectively, that was the beginning of Wildwood. Okay, okay. Right. And then, as I say, some ten years later, uh, you sold Wildwood, and we get a college on demand. But before we got into a college on demand, an awful lot of people will know you because of uh, the stuff that you did. Uh, a lot of it, I think, alongside Sandy Seller. Awful lot with Sandy, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, as part of the, the Bat Training Partnership, That's and. Right. Uh, so I think it's I think it's important that uh, we talk about this briefly and we put this in the 
because this was happening whilst Wildwood was going on as well. That's right. But yeah. this was separate to Wildwood, is that correct? Yeah. But, yeah at that point, uh, Bat Training Partnership is, is, was, is me and Sandy, or yeah. Sandy and I. Sandy and I. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And from the beginning, actually, and that came out of a drunken conversation at a back conference, um, uh, probably September 2007, I should think, because we ran our first course in the summer of 2008. Um, and um, yeah, so I, I was I was sort of building up Wildwood at that point. Wildwood was still 2008 was still me. Yeah. Um, I was working with quite a big team of subcontractors. We were covering most of sort of West Wales. I was still just about based in Aberystwyth in mid Wales or Midwest Wales. Um, 2009, 2010, I moved to Cardiff. And I think the, the move was probably almost, almost a nail in the coffin. I, I, I think, um, I think I, I abused my, myself too much um expected too much from my body by that point and i think the, the move was um another stressful point and moving in with my now wife um is you know in big important things uh to deal with in your life as well aren't they you know um, key key milestones yeah. and um i wasn't coping very well with the workload particularly once i was remote and in cardiff and a lot of my work was still up west which is i mean abris with cardiff is two and a half hours drive yeah yeah um and um um things like invoicing were slipping so i was mostly because nobody ever badges you for an invoice they badge you for the report or for the survey but they never chase you for the invoice and that was the thing that was slipping actually yeah. is that i wasn't keeping up with the invoicing so the, the warning signs were yeah. really there and, that, and that's and that's a, that's a big concern in the business environment that's yeah. right yeah. that's right uh, and so um I was working with a great ecologist called Bob, Bob Fermin, who, who then shortly after joined us at Wildwood um, and Richard Dodd. And I knew Richard because he, he um, had been the Welsh Bat Officer um, for Bat Conservation Trust. Um, and I was the only Welsh trustee at that time. And we even went on a few trips and did a few jobs together because we were uh, quite similar in age as well. And we'd always got on well. Um, and Richard was working for another consultancy. He, he lived just near, near in, just just outside of Cardiff, and he was working for another consultancy, um, and just happened to mention that that they, they they I think he was only working three or four days a week because they were short of work or something, and I was just kind of you are kidding, you are joking, you are short. Of work. I said I am literally <laughs> fighting it away with a big stick at the moment, literally fighting it away. Yeah. Uh, and I said, right, how many days have you got? Do you want to do two days a week for me? Do you want to do three? What have you got? You know, yeah. how, many, how many nights can you write some reports? Do you want to draft some reports? That'd be great. So yeah. he, he very quickly, sort of just on a subcontract basis initially, uh, uh, for a while did that. Uh, and then we had a conversation uh, and he said, I was wondering if we might formalize this arrangement a little bit. And I said, I've been having exactly the same thought. Uh, and I said to him, how would you like to join me as a director in the company? How would you like to buy in and join me as a director in Wildwood? Um, I'd gone, I'd already taken the company by this point with VAT registered because we had to We'd hit the, hit the, hit the, hit that ceiling or got very close to it and um, gone limited um, already at that point. Um, so I, you know, got the, the um, articles of association or whatever it's called changed. 
and, and brought Richard in with the shareholding um, effectively 50 50 not quite but but near yeah. near as I was I think majority shareholder by two percent or something um, because I wanted it to be a level playing field I didn't want it to be a, oh this is my company sort of thing I wanted it to be ours and yeah. actually He's got a very different working method to me. He's the he's the kind of person you can you can infer what this says about me, uh, it, uh, as you will. But uh, Richard's the kind of guy. Go out, do a survey. The following day, he'll download his data. He'll write the report, uh, and he'll send the draft report and issue the invoice. It's not quite how I work. So he was a breath of fresh air in the company. Yeah. Um, and uh, his his focus on process was desperately, desperately what I needed. Um, and, yeah. and actually, uh, because I think I'd hit a bit of a low point, um, he was able to literally pick it up and go with it. And, and also it was good in a way. So it meant I wasn't too possessive uh, and that he was actually able to take some ownership, which was, I, th I think, beneficial to us both, you know kept me going I, I think i may have i may have bailed at that point if that hadn't happened i think i may have gone elsewhere so i think it was um uh, a really positive thing to happen you know and and i said to him oh this guy bob bob Furman's been been really helping me in south wales while i've been on the the transition from west wales and i promised him our first hire will be Bob, he gets first refusal. If he wants a job, there's one there. And he was not that long out of university, but oh my God, was he smart. Um, and uh, so Richard sort of had to honor that really. So we hired Bob quite quickly. Um, and then soon after picked up an admin, actually got a part-time admin, um, Chris Rishmiller, who, who I'd met, she was the administrator of one of the field studies centers and had, had left there. And I bumped into her at the opera, like you do. Um, would you believe it was Deflader Mouse? Okay, wow. Okay, no. I, I was at Deflader Mouse um, with tickets that were given to me by BCT um, for as a thank you when I left as a trust when I stepped down as trust trustee. Okay. Would you believe all that the, the, these tidal webs that we weave? So yeah, I, so BCT, I, I went to Deflader Mouse, the opera about yeah. a bat. Um, yeah. met somebody that I knew from teaching back courses who I pretty much on the spot hired <laughs> to yeah. come and be my administrator at Wildwood. And that was life-changing as well because she just took away some of that mundane stuff and sort of nursed me um, as, as we grew the business as well. So she was kind of an emotional prop as well. It's important to have someone like that. It's got your back, you know? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So we, we just, and basically every time we met somebody good, we hired them, we never advertised. So um uh, and we got up to, I don't know, six or seven staff or something. And then Richard wanted to move back to Sirencester for personal reasons uh, to do with his wife. He, he'd got child, he'd got a child, I think, at that point with his wife. And I think they were moving to be close to her parents. Uh, and I said, the business is there to work for us. You know, do you live to work or do you, do you work to live? Yeah. Um, and I said, let's do it. Let's make the business work in two places. Why not? Let's try. Um, Cotswolds was the last place you would have planned to set up a second office um, because there was so much competition there of similar yeah. size. Um, yeah. Pretty much the worst place we could have considered, but we were already carrying a reputation that went back to 1998. Um, and of course, actually, it worked out absolutely fine in that respect. And Richard was able to build the business from there. Yeah. Um, and then the the the, the uh, and, and back license training course was happening within this, uh, yes. taking up quite a lot of my time um that was always difficult to present because when you stack the figures alongside 
the training course was was profitable but it did take me away for big chunks of time and that put pressure on the team when i was absent um yeah. a, a bltc week was monday to friday um, I would usually sh show up in a panic on the Monday morning and shovel the last few things off my desk into the car before whizzing off to Dorset or something to teach for the week. Yeah. Um, I was usually in places where there was no mobile signal. Um, I so barely, uh, barely get any time to, to look business. at email. Yeah. 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 So I was really relying on the rest of the team when I was away. And I was doing uh, well, six weeks of BLTC a year, plus usually a couple of bolt-on courses. So maybe seven, eight, nine yeah. weeks a year. So quite a lot of pressure and half of those in the active season. So quite yeah. a bit of pressure on the business. Yeah. So I was relying on the team to cover for me when I was absent on, on project work, you know. Yeah. Um, and then you go through the, I mean, I used to do something similar to this when I was in Echoes. Yeah. But, but when I was in Echoes, I was doing courses somewhere. I was earning money for Echoes. Yeah, doing yeah. that you know yeah but yeah but, but but even that i still had a huge guilt trip about yeah. the fact that i've left everybody in scotland to deal with you know clients reports That's deadlines right. yeah, and all yeah. the rest of it exactly that so, yeah so you must have you must have you must have been feeling very similar uh, yeah no that, i mean and that, that was a really big part of it to be honest yeah um and um but in fact it was it was more for personal reasons that i decided to leave because um my wife and i were trying for a child um and um i think even before we knew that we were pregnant um i'd said to richard i was having reservations about where my future uh was was going to go uh, and I had, had a hunch that it might not be. And he'd said, you know, I think it was sort of the Christmas previously or something. He'd sort of said, well, you just need to go away and, you know, get your thoughts together and see. And we'll, you know, same thing applies. Well, you know, it's, 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 got, it's got to work for you, hasn't it? So so uh, the decision was made that I, I would um, uh, release my share of the company, but I'd take bat training partnership with me because actually that was me and sandy anyway there was no means of leaving that yes um yeah. even though even though it put it put its profits back into you know after sandy had been paid it put its profits back into wildwood okay um, right okay yeah so it did it wasn't it wasn't my money it was it was wildwood's money if you like so it was the, effectively it was a partnership between wildwood and sandy it's just i was okay. the only person uh, enacting that um and um yeah, so so we agreed as part of the settlement deal that I would take the training business entirely, uh, and its database of customers and all that sort of stuff, and a hand just a handful, I think five, literally five commercial clients, five jobs, yeah. and they were basically ones that I'd done all the work on. So those of you that were watching the mitigation, um, uh, the roost awards. I got, yeah. I was it highly commended. I think I got for one at Cardigan Castle. That was one of the projects I brought with me because I'd done all the work on it. I designed all the surveys, all the mitigation. I was the only ecologist that they knew at the castle. Still am, just because it's got a 10 year monitoring on it. So I'm still there. Um, and uh, I didn't, I couldn't bear the thought of not, not staying in touch with, and there was a few others like that. Um, as it happens, a couple of them might've been castles with quite cool bats maybe but um so 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 richard rich and i agreed that uh, oh, I, I would have how those, shallow is that here yeah quite 
um, so yeah, I mean, Margam Castle, and that was another one at, at uh, Port Talbot. Um, and I've, I've just got that under license again. I'm still referring back to a Wildwood report because last time it was properly surveyed and reported was, was uh, in 2016, you know, just, right. just before I left. Um, but um, um, it's uh, urgent repairs and, you know, quick license on that. And uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's still bringing in some work um, even to this day. So that's sort of how it worked really. So, um, so I, I, I made the jump and, and reduced my hours. And the, and the aim is with, between my wife and I, Shelley, is um, to do about 20 hours each per week yeah. and yeah. Do, do, do the childcare ourselves. So back to any partnership uh, at the moment, nothing much happening there uh, is, is this still on the go is there a future for back training partnership uh, yeah i think that's, that's a good that's a good question i think there's going to be some changes ahead um sandy has retired now um she was already planning her exit um pre-pandemic um in any case she was she was mindful of winding down um she's uh, it's not it's not polite to talk about a lady's age but she's um um, a, a, a few years past retirement age, shall we say, yeah, in any yeah. case. Uh, so it was her but, intention. But very, 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 I mean, I, I mean, obviously I won't mention her age either, but, you know, she easily passes 10 years younger. I mean, Oh, she's, yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah, yeah, she's fitter than me, no doubt yeah. at all. Yeah. yeah, yeah, she was on holiday a few weeks ago, uh, canoeing between aisles, the different silly aisles yeah. with her husband, you know, just the yeah, two of them. I saw photographs yeah, of that yeah, on that's, Facebook. Yeah, stuff, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she, yeah. she broke her arm out on a run a couple of weeks ago, I think. Yeah. So yeah, yeah she's um, total powerhouse. Absolutely. Um, but uh, yeah, so the problem is, is that leaves some very big boots to fill. Um, and there's also, um, uh, the, well, the whole COVID situation is making um, USP of bat training partnership was really getting people into cool places up close to train with cool bats if you like yeah. and uh, that's just not really possible at the moment um i uh, i think i think the bat community needs to have a conversation about when when does training become essential yeah again yeah. i think that's 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 a conversation that hasn't happened yet um the risks you know i i saw that questionnaire that merlin out quite recently and, and he's concerned that we're actually doing more harm than good and i think that's a really important viewpoint and we, we we should be should be talking about the pros and cons of this i'm quite content at the moment it's not the right time to be to be doing training work or up close handling work and stuff like that um i've certainly curtailed my own survey activities considerably as well i haven't had a bat in the hand in gosh two years yeah i, think. I think yeah i think I think I've had two, and yeah. one of them was a grounded bat that right. I found in somebody's premises that, okay. that I had yeah, to yeah. pick up. You know? Sure. Uh, yeah. 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 So, so it's all a, it's all a little bit weird, and I think also I, I've got some concerns about the regulatory side of it as well, because there's no point charging people what's admittedly a lot of money to do a course which is admittedly a lot of commitment, a lot of time and energy. <clears throat> Yeah. without the total certainty that they're going to, if they meet the grade, get a license at the end of it. Yes, because that, that last bit of the process yeah. is beyond your, it's beyond your power. It really right. isn't it, you know. You, That's right, uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, when we started back in 2008, I mean, we've done 280 people or something, I think, mm -hmm. um, through bat license training course itself. And then if you add on the handling courses and, and advanced technique courses, 
you know, we're probably looking at more like 400 people have been given license references mm-hmm. um, since 98. So there's a lot of people. In the early days, it just felt like a rubber stamping exercise. You know, we gave the reference. We knew that those people would be awarded a license. There was never any question. And over the years, more and more queries have popped up and, oh, this person appears not to have done that. And maybe it's just an omission on their logbook or something like that. But the, the frequency of those has increased. <clears throat> and also the number of people that we could, the number of named individuals that we can go and talk to, particularly at Natural England, has gone down and down and down and down. So the people that we agreed the course with right back at the beginning, um, and they were very welcoming of it and had a lot of input into you know the, st- the standards that we used. Um, very few of them there. And I actually emailed them um, if just before the pandemic. And I actually said, just checking, you're still happy with everything that we're doing. Yeah. Um, along with. Um, I, I, I do this. I do this every year with Scottish Natural Heritage. Yeah. So I can totally appreciate you yeah. from there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the, the guy that I emailed who I'd known and corresponded with for probably four or five years, uh, he just said, absolutely, you know, no problems. Carry on as you were. Just to let you know, though, um, I, I leave in two months' time. I've been moved to, I've been moved to another post. Yeah. Um, so the only person that's really familiar with our past discussions is my boss, whose name is this. And um, you might just refer to him and you're thinking, is there only one person left that's now familiar with the process that we've gone through? Yeah. You know, so and that becomes just a bit unsettling as well. So especially, especially if you're taking lots and lots of money. Yeah. from lots and lots yeah. of people and you're putting yeah. them through a pretty long training program yeah that's right yeah uh, yeah. yeah yeah and 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 uh, what do you do if if you've got 20 people that have gone through that for argument's exactly. sake exactly exactly yeah yeah natural yeah. england yeah. changed their yeah. their attitude i mean from a commercial point of view those yeah. people have paid you for the training exactly yeah yeah, yeah. but yeah uh, and it's it's I mean, I had a meeting with NRW and I, I went up to North Wales, um, up to Bangor to see the, uh, the, the, the head of licensing and the, um, the species advisor uh, and had a long, a long meeting with them. And, and I said, um, in that, and not, 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 not wishing to throw figures around, I said, but this course has turned over a million pounds. This is not a hobby venture. You know, this is this is the, the the bulk of what I do, you know, most of the time sort of thing. It's a, a substantial venture. Um, uh, and they were sort of, oh, right. I think they sort of thought, oh, it's a, you know, a few courses a year sort of thing. Um, and and so, yeah, 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 I think that that, that it, it's it's, a, it's an entity in its own right. You know, it's, 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 a, it's a significant thing. So, of course, it's all on hold at the moment. I'm kind of... Uh, a, a fairly significant chunk of my pre-pandemic income down but i have to say ecology on demand has been great super flexible and the nice thing is is that um apparently i just need to post four or five times on facebook and somebody says oh it was really interesting what you're saying about that i've got a similar situation i wonder if you'd help let's very quickly talk about ecology on demand what is ecology on demand why does it exist what are you about yeah tell us a little bit about that this this is that's hopefully what people think i am actually um i i hope so i think this is sort of me uh it's one of the reasons that i was keen that my name was also on the logo um um but equally i i want i i learned the lesson in the past um, wildwood ecology was originally wildwood consulting and i think it's useful a business does what it says on the tin 
Um, so I changed the name yes. when the, when the yeah. company went limited, we became Wildwood Ecology, for example. So um, I, I think um, uh, it, this was drawing together uh, the helpful side of things uh, and the fact that there's a lot of people out there with a huge amount of experience. But uh, I think, uh, I, I mean, I, I, I've lost track of numbers and things, but I've surveyed well over a thousand sites. Well, I think it was well over a thousand sites in 2016, um, last time I counted. Um, and goodness knows how many EPS licenses and stuff like that. I did my first EPS licenses, I think in 2001. 2002 number seven and eight in wales okay. when the licensing was that new wow. Wow. so okay. yeah right back at the beginning of, of of eps licensing you know um and so there's been an awful lot of mistakes an awful lot of mistakes and if i can share some of those with people you know because you you make a mistake and you learn how to fix it yeah. uh, and so saving somebody else having to go through that process is really what i'm about there's things i'm good at you know, there's things I'm not so good at. I, I keep being asked to quote for radio tracking jobs and stuff like that. Okay. And yeah. I've done it. I've got the license. I'm pretty comfortable with it. I've never done it commercially. Okay. It doesn't suit my, my family life at the moment. Being away from home for, for prolonged periods of time doesn't suit. And actually, I don't consider myself to be an expert in it. So I want to stick to what I'm really good at. And actually dealing with complex bat roosting situations involving mitigation or conflict really is my thing yeah and where people have got a problem they're stuck with that's what i really want to get stuck and i love it i absolutely love it i mean this business is totally I, I, I wish i'd done it sooner now i'm totally proud i mean i think my, my best ever achievement was starting and growing wildwood with the team that i had they were literally the best people in the world um, as far as that was exactly what i wanted that company to be what I just never really thought about was whether that's the kind of company that I wanted to be with all my career. You yes. see, that's <laughs> yeah. the difference. Um, and actually, it was my personal aspirations to be a hands-on dad, which completely changed that. I, I wanted to be very involved in my children's upbringing. So I think, I mean, probably, I've probably only ever missed putting my daughter to bed 20 times in four years. Wow. something like that maybe yeah. maybe maybe a little bit more than that but not certainly never more than 20 times a year yeah. you know so she she very seldom doesn't get a bedtime story from from daddy you know and i'm invariably there at breakfast very rarely you know uh, pre-pandemic even you know so um that's and that's what i wanted to be sort of that that was that was my driver behind this so it had to be flexible and work so, so i do very few nighttime surveys now I did 19 or 20 years of all of that, thousands, thousands and thousands, two, three, four nights a week for nearly 20 years. And I don't not, not just the nights, yeah. the dawns as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and yeah. I just don't think I need to do a lot more of that. There's plenty of people out there. They've got fresher eyes than mine. You know, they can use the equipment as well as I can. I'm sure, you know, I just don't think I need to be doing a lot of that sort of stuff. But I can walk into a bat roost and I can read it in a way that somebody that hasn't been doing it for 23, 24 years probably can. Um, and this was, I mean, this came to me, you know, as, as on a site in Dorset with one of my clients, an ecologist client, very experienced ecologist client, just, I don't know, four or five weeks ago. And we walked into this barn and I said, oh, this is good. I'm excited about this. Looked up lesser horseshoe, but, you know, not easy. No, 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 nobody would have had a problem with that. 
Uh, and then we went around those beam. There's a serotene there. Great. This is this barn is you know really ticking all the boxes for me now in deepest darkest Dorset. So it's wonderful. Um, and I said, oh, we've got some long eards up here as well. Uh, and he said, oh yeah, we've had the DNA back. There brown brown long eards in here. And I said, no, they're not. Okay. I mean, these bats were, I don't know, eight feet, nine feet above well, me. So you, could, you could actually see them. You yeah. could see them. Sat okay, this, right. Yeah, sat, 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 up, sat up on the ridge in this barn. I said, no, they're not. They're not brown long eards. I said, there might be brown long eards in here as well, but they're not brown long eards. And just having the confidence, you know, and I've not seen many of those. I've never found a roost of grey long eared bats before. Yeah. But just having the confidence, I've seen the bats enough. I've had them in the hand enough times from trapping and things yeah. just to say, yeah, those are grey long eards. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and you know, uh, and so that uh, that's great for me. It just means you're not losing your abilities as well, you know. So I'm doing I'm doing lots of daytime stuff now. I'm reviewing lots of licenses for people. Uh, I've been the named ecologist on a lot of licenses. I've got thirty something licenses running at the moment. So either in prep, it uh, in build or in early stage monitoring. I think I've got 35 license, 30, 35 licenses covering 13 species okay. of bats. Which exciting, that's it. Yeah. Really that's good. I mean, I never go to a site that doesn't have bats on anymore. I mean, basically that my career's been like that for about the last 10 years anyway, because with having a team of yeah. colleagues, they would generally do the preliminary stuff and only bring me in if they needed. Yeah. I mean, latterly I was only really being a survey assistant because my very qualified and capable colleagues were setting up every, why did they need me you know i just got past a, a report to oh you've missed a full stop can i find anything else wrong with this you know no, 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 yeah. there's, there's so much to say about that that yeah. is so similar to what was going on in yeah. course you know yeah. it's just so similar yeah. <laughs> so so i've just basically kind of taken that kind of principal ecologist role out and put it available for hire by the hour effectively so yeah. i i review reports for people um some people just ring me up to talk about mitigation i'm looking at as uh, a big welsh water scheme in a tunnel um yeah. i was a big engineering consultancy talking about an, another tunnel they invariably involving rarer species people tend yeah. to come to me for horseshoe bats because i've done a lot of horseshoe work um i was discussing something on a, a significant railway project that wasn't hs2 just last week you know at wildwood we did the uh, bat transect surveys for the M4 across the Gwent levels, which is very contentious. Uh, 10 kilometers across three triple SIs and one SAC and stuff. And we as a company said, do we want to be involved in this or do we not? Because if we don't, we won't do it. We won't tender. Um, and the, the view was that we could we would do it and then we'd make sure that our data was properly represented. This, this is the thing, isn't it? Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, this stuff's going to happen. And but if it's going to happen, yeah, it's really better that yeah. it happens with the best informed people totally, trying yeah. to exactly yeah. guide it in the right direction. Yeah, get the yeah. best yeah. possible that you can get out of it. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I think that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, so it's really good. So yeah, lots of lots lots of stuff going on, and and I I only take so my deal is is that I don't take on surveys for planning permission, so okay. I'm not. I'm not competing with any of my ecologist clients because all my clients are ecologists or virtually or yeah, yeah. all bar about two at the moment, I think. And when I say at the moment, I mean since 2016. Um, so um, maybe three, you know, bonkers actually. But uh, so they, 
they can then have the confidence that I won't nick their clients. Yeah. Because clearly for the clients, it's, well, why am I, if you're bringing in this guy who's more experienced, why don't I just work with him? But I don't want, I, that's not what I want to do. I, yeah. I, I actually want to remove the client aspect from it because that's one of the things I got a bit bored with, apart from anything else, yeah. is trying yeah. to, you know, negotiate to somebody again why they have to wait until the surveys are finished or when, you know, they've yeah. got to get the license and can't start tomorrow and all that sort yeah. of stuff. But, uh, and, and use my skills, hopefully, where, where they're most useful. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely makes makes a lot of sense, and I'm really, really pleased that it's it's working out for you. I mean, I, I remember uh, it was it was just before you got uh, actually you came to Scotland to get married. Yeah, well, I did. You yeah. did, yeah. So when I came to see you, that's right. I was, yeah. I, was yeah. I turned up at your office in a, in a hired Jaguar because I that's managed, right, yeah. I'd managed to hobble a sneaky upgrade at the hire place because yeah. I was eloping with my wife the following day or the day after that or something i was yeah. picking her up from edinburgh airport and yeah. we were going to gretna green to get married that's get right married. That, yeah that. so and I, I came to see you on the way that's right it's very very important yeah. timing that Neil. <laughs> you know ecology on, on demand i think hadn't started at that point and you were that's right yeah. I think you were still deciding what was happening with Wildwood. I can't remember the timings, yeah. but I yeah. remember it was all there were lots of things. There were lots of things going on in your life. I think back that was then. that was that was peak negotiations of the uh, of of the um, I can't remember what, even what it's called now, but the contract to to sell yeah. my shares and stuff. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, and uh, no, it was it was fascinating. And, I, and and we met up that day and we went for lunch, but I didn't appreciate until we're actually out for lunch. That you were going to get married two days later, and I was no. like, "Wow!" It's it sort of a secret because even our families didn't know at that point. Yeah. So uh, we decided that we were going to do it the very small way. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, no, very, it's very small private way. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I, remember, I remember seeing yeah. the I remember seeing the pictures afterwards, and uh, <laughs> and and as you say, you turned up at the Echoes car park with with a Jag. And, That's right. Uh, yeah. Um, um, and my staff looked at me and thought, "Well, what's he doing right, and what's our boss doing wrong?" You know. <laughs> <laughs> so that uh, no, was like, that was good, 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 good time. That was yeah. um, okay. What else we got into the future? Where do you see yourself five years from now, uh, Richard? I mean, is it possible to imagine uh, this far forward? Uh, ecology on demand continues. I assume. I hope um, so. I do hope so. Uh, I, I really feel like I found found a niche at the moment. It's. Um, every every single bit of it is enjoyable um and i'm not sure i've been able to say that about many jobs in the past you know even running wildwood as brilliant as it was there was a yeah. lot of mundane stuff yeah. you know uh, the process of running a company um particularly once you get a bit bigger and you have to start you know dealing with health and safety and insurance and tax and yeah. vat yeah. and all that sort of stuff it's not many people that love that yeah. You know, there's maybe people that are okay with it, but uh, I, I think I always just did it begrudgingly, you know, what had to okay. be done. Um, I think um, um, but Richard Dodd is, is, the, is, the, is the epitome of discretion, so would never, never divulge this, but he was drafting a staff handbook. And for about two years, there were all these page markers in it, which were the pages that I was supposed to write, okay. which never got written. 
Okay. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> that kind um, of says it all, really, yeah. doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, he would. He would never tell you that, but I don't. I don't mind. I don't. Mind. I'm comfortable with my with my faults. So, uh, yeah, I, I hope it it stays very much the same. To be honest, uh, I, my my aim. Uh, my daughter starts school full time in in September, so my aim is to slightly increase the hours I'm able to offer to it, which is good. I'm currently okay. writing the guidelines for um, uh, infrared. Um, video bat surveys i'm glad to mention that because i was going to ask you about that yeah, yeah yeah and i think if people were watching facebook yesterday they may have seen a short uh, a short conversation between me and the very very wonderful chris demand um and so we there may possibly be a, another document that's going to immediately take over from that as well um yeah okay. I've, I've missed that in, yeah, in the winter that? so well yeah. uh I, 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 in in a nutshell, and, and this this game, I, you may have seen the post. Uh, somebody um, put um, bats in a in a belfry, um, something like that, and they, they they they'd been advised not to ring the bells in the belfry. And I just made the comment, well, "Haven't bats lived in belfries for centuries?" Sort of thing. Um, and and Chris just said, "Well, there's a lot of le circular learning goes on in communities um, because he's a kind man." Uh, and uh, uh, he's quite right, of course. So perhaps I was I was a little bit too abrupt. Um, but I said, Chris, you've given me an idea. And I said, I think what we uh, about disseminating information. And I said, perhaps what we need to do is a dictionary of mitigation terms, okay. or a dictionary of mitigation, literally alphabetically and go through just in very summary form. So if you meet a situation you've not met before, you could just look it up and say, oh, here's some of the options. And then perhaps signpost to some of the key references for it. Yeah, something like yeah. that so and and i think yeah. do it as a, a sort of crowd crowd um what's the word i don't say crowd, crowd yeah. not crowd funded but um, yeah. um um uh user submitted yeah so yes. yeah okay. literally sort of you know put put a bare bones out there and invite people to to chuck them in and just yeah. edit it really i think that could be great fun you know a useful compendium so that's uh sounds like that might be the project once the ir guidelines are done okay ir guidelines 2021 sorry 2022 next year. Uh, um yeah draft draft this autumn hopefully okay. that's the plan if nothing else goes wrong they've been a bit stymied by some personal stuff but um yeah the plan is to to have a draft out this autumn certainly by um october anyway yeah <coughs> do, do you see and obviously if you can't answer this question don't but do you see infrared and oblique core thermal imaging uh, do you see these things becoming um, part of what would be regarded as what should be normal bat survey uh, techniques? Yeah, yeah uh, I think I think so, and I think it will get picked up in the fourth edition survey guidelines too. But um, um, there have been some discussions already with the UK bat steering group, um, who I presented some of the the um, an early outline to. Um, I don't know, probably six weeks ago, something like that, eight weeks ago, um, and also the um, the panel that's working on the survey guidelines. And the, um, the key emphasis is going to be that not using night vision aids will require justification. Yeah. yeah. So we're going to flip it on its head, literally. So like it's not it. to say that you can't do surveys without night vision aids, but if you're going to, you should justify it. Yeah. Okay. Because we can't uh, see in the... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I totally, I totally agree with that, and I think okay, and and infrared especially, 
it's so accessible now yeah. cost yeah. wise yeah, yeah. I mean people are telling me that it's not but I think uh, uh, without wishing to be rude I think people really have to look at their business yeah. if they can't afford to invest in a, a, a bit of kit that costs about the same as a as a, as a professional quality bat detector yeah. which will run for several years you know yeah. I think you've really got the question about your charging um, processes and things okay well I sit here and uh, I'll let the person that we're interviewing uh, pretty much drive the bus and I've got to say, you've driven the bus beautifully. You Thank really you. have, because uh, I haven't had to, I haven't had to say too much, which is actually quite refreshing uh, for everybody as well as for myself. Um, so that's that's been really nice. Is there any, but seriously, is there anything that we should mention that? Uh, no, well, I mean, I, 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 I've, think of, I, I've had you know a really amazing and exciting career, and. <clears throat> It's uh, it's always due to the other people that you're with, and they so you know you have to say thank you to all the people along the way, you know. And yeah. Tom McCowart's name keeps popping up all along the way. Yeah. as the person who yeah. first signed me off my bat license. <clears throat> so it's um, the the people that you meet along the way is 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 just what what makes it all happen really. Um, and uh, I've 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 got a I've got an unwritten what what's what's your uh, profanity rules on this group, Neil? Because my unwritten strap line is just don't be a dick. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay you'll get, you'll get away with that yeah uh, and you know, are you saying think, that to me or are you just saying that generally well I, no, no, it's not aimed at anybody in particular but I mean, that's something that I always try and take away and, and you yeah. know as you said you know I'm quite active on social media and stuff and I've made some gaffes I've upset a few people and, and I've made one or two mistakes now to apologize a few times and I think you know being aware that you you can make mistakes you know, uh, and when you make a mistake, hold your hand up and say so. I think is really important. Yeah. <clears throat> One of my bugbears in the bat world is, um, I mean, I always joke on courses, it's beware of anybody that identifies a bat in 0.67 seconds. And you've everybody seen it, you know, they've, before they've even got the bat on the, the hand on the bat in the in the trap or the net. <clears throat> yeah. It's all oh, this is a, and in no way is that a helpful thing to do. Yeah. You know, there's nothing comprehensive about that. Even if you think you know what it is in 0.76 seconds, <clears throat> yeah. if it's yeah. a training exercise, particularly, take your time, explain yeah. your thinking. It's like maths lessons at school, which I hated. But they said, show you're working. And that's just yeah. such such a good system in life, you know. And if you write your reports by showing you're working, so at least if somebody can criticize your approach, they can see what your approach is because you talk to all the people, you know, the regulators that, <clears throat> that review these things. And they say time and time again, we don't know how they arrived at this conclusion. <clears throat> yeah. And it's just yeah. so important. That's just such an important thing. We just all need to share loads more. And as we're doing this thing with BCT at the moment, and I'm, I'm going to do run one at the, the national, run a workshop at the conference on it, national conference on it, uh, on uh, Ecologists Anonymous. Yeah, uh, and I saw actually that. Talk, I saw, talking yeah. about things that don't work. <clears throat> yeah. Because yeah. actually there's loads more things that don't work than there are things that do. So actually yeah. by inference, there's a lot more to learn from the from the negatives than there are from the positives. Yeah. And again, it's about sharing experiences, isn't it? Yeah. And yeah. nobody learns anything from, you know, if you've had an easy day at work and you haven't had a problem to solve. Yeah. Or you haven't made a mistake that you've then got to think, well, next time I'm going to do that differently. Yeah. Um, if you haven't 
gone through that in the course of a day or a week, um, you haven't actually developed any further exactly. as an individual. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Well, Richard, I've got to say it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I've learned quite a few things about you uh, today that I didn't know. And and I thought I knew you reasonably well before, but, uh, but there's been some really interesting things come out of this that uh, I myself wasn't aware of. So for me personally, it's been uh, it's been really, really interesting. And I think for uh, you know, all those people that are going to watch this, who I'm quite sure will know you by name, but many of them may never have heard your voice or seen you or knew your background. I think it's going to be really interesting for for those people to have uh, heard all about your experiences and all this kind of stuff. So I just want to say massive thank you. Thank you so much. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, Neil. Thank you for having me. We hope you enjoyed this Talking Bat interview, which is an edited audio-only version of the original video session. The full version, including video, is available via Betability Club, our online training platform. To find out more about Club, go to betability.co.uk. Till next time, thank you.